So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and uh, jump out into 2 Corinthians 9. If you're not familiar with looking up Scripture, most of our passages will be on the screen behind me this morning. You can interact uh, that way. But we are in the heart of this series called Rhythms of Grace, this word that we're trying to get a better handle on, a better understanding of what it means, uh, why we as Christians say this is something we're about, something we've experienced, and take it from this you know, this word that we heard maybe growing up or this word that we use with one another and actually turning into action, a part of the natural rhythm of who we are as Christians, of how do we actually be people of grace? How do we actually experience grace and then express grace to other people instead of just saying grace to you or peace to you? How do we actually live these things out in the natural rhythm of our life? And we've been kind of going through this acrostic of grace uh, and you maybe didn't even realize like it was an acrostic that we've been working through, but the, the G was this idea that we start, grace starts with generosity. This idea that we get to be generous people. And generosity is about more than just giving. It's about more than money. It's about investing, putting to work what God has given us. The word we looked at was bestowing, that it's actually taking it and using it for other people, not hoarding it, not holding on to it, not just piling up grace in our life, but actually bestowing it upon under p- other people. And the R was this responding, that we actually then respond to needs when we see them because we have this abounding grace, this grace that will never run out. The more we use grace in other people's lives, the more we actually experience it in our lives. And a lot of times the flow of grace feels like it stops in our life because we haven't been responding to people in need. And we talked about how all the time we find people in these pits, You know, whether it's problems they can't overcome or failures in their previous life, trials that they just can't get past. And we can help them by being grace and responding and getting them out of the pit. And for a lot of us, grace is kind of, we understand those two parts. Like it kind of stops there. God's been good to me. I should be good to other people. Like that's just, let's stop it there, right? But that's not where this passage does. And last week we began to see the next part of grace, which was advocating for people and becoming an advocate and by actually teaching them how to grow, becoming an opportunity for growth, harvesting righteousness in their life. We talked about last week is helping people not just stand at the edge of the pit and hope they don't fall back in, but helping them grow in such a way that they're moving away from the pit of despair toward the hope that they have in Christ, toward life, toward something, instead of just sitting and teeter-tottering and going, you know what, I I hope I make it, but it's a 50-50 shot. And we actually talked about how do we create these environments of growth and harvest righteousness. And we talked about the spiritual practices of prayer and fasting. And our vision last week was we as a church want to be a place of growth. And we're going to offer these classes throughout the year that help us understand some of the how-tos of our faith. And that's not just for us, but it's for us to share with other people. And now we're moving to the next natural rhythm that we find in the next couple of verses of Second Corinthians. So Second Corinthians 9, today we're going to be in verses 12 and 13, and it says this. For the ministry of this service, and that service is everything that we just talked about. Generosity, uh, responding, being an advocate, all that thing. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of your service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession to the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them 
and for all the others. In verse 12 here, we're starting to see a shift of how grace is expressed and experienced here in this passage. For the past few verses, we've been looking at grace as a work of supplying needs. It's generous. It finds people in a pit and it rescues them. It advocates for people and helps them to grow. But when you look at verse 12, you see again, it says there is a shift from just an external expression to an internal experience. It says this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. As challenging as this study has been for me and maybe for you on what it means to express grace externally, I kind of wish it had just stopped there. I wish that God would have just said, you know what? As long as you're being nice to people, as long as you're helping them out and even giving them a little track to run on, you're doing good. That's all you got to do. Just see somebody in need, throw them a lifeline, see if you can help them, and then go on about your life enjoying everything else there is. But that's not what he says here. He says, because this next part, we are moving into often the more difficult part of grace. Because grace is not only helping others. These verses are going to show us it is much more than that. It is not just bringing aid into somebody's life. It's actually inviting them into our lives. That's what true grace is. I mean, think about it, of how God interacted with us. God just didn't come to our point of need and say, all right, you feel guilty because of sin, or you're, you, know, you don't have a purpose, so you need meaning. And he didn't just meet a need. He didn't just say, here's some bread to eat. Here's something to help you in this one moment. And he didn't just teach us how to, like we talked about last week, how to grow our own wheat for bread. He didn't just teach us that and then leave us. He actually invited us into the household of God. We became his children. We were adopted into the household of God. When we place our faith in Christ, we become full heirs of the kingdom of God. We're invited into the inner circle. We're not kept on the outside. We're not kept at a distance. We are invited in. Grace isn't about you getting just close enough to people so that you can, they can experience a piece of your generosity and you've been, that you've been gracious enough to hand out. Instead, grace is inviting people deeply into our lives so that they can become attached to the same source of grace that we're connected to, which is Jesus. See, the, the difference here is this. I'm not just getting to enjoy all the connection to Jesus and to God myself and then throwing crumbs and pieces out to other people. True grace takes somebody, brings them close enough in my life that they get to connect with the true source of grace as well. That's what true grace really begins to make a connection in our life. And it's this idea that we're going to talk about today of camaraderie, of camaraderie. The difference between advocating last week and camaraderie this week is all about distance. It's all about distance. We can be generous and we can respond and we can advocate for people from a distance. But to move beyond just showing grace and instead connecting them to the source of grace means that we move closer to them to start connecting our lives to them, to allow them to see more deeply into our lives and look more deeply into our lives. We as a church often talk about community and brotherhood. Jamal brought that up this morning, this idea that we want to lock arms and do life together and experience life together. And we encourage people to get involved in groups, to serve together, to engage with one another but camaraderie is much deeper and is much more intentional than even community. 
Camaraderie is not just about doing life together. It's about gathering to a point, getting to a point where we share the same passions. We want to experience the same things. We are locked arm in arm and walk step in step to accomplish tasks together. But camaraderie isn't this idea of uniformity that we all look alike, act alike, and just do the exact same things or we march in step. It's deeper than that. Instead, it's about a unity of heart and a desire that our hearts beat together. It is internal versus external. That our passions, what we truly get excited about, when we sit down around a table and we start talking about what God has done in my life, how Jesus has come through in my life, our hearts beat in unity. And what is our common and unifying heartbeat? How do we experience that? It is the worship of God, our creator, and the desire to follow after Jesus, who was God in the flesh. Grace isn't about showing the love. is isn't just about just showing the love of Jesus to others. It's about introducing them to Jesus in such a way that they can experience the same love that we have. How selfish would it be of us to know the source of grace, this unlimited source of grace, and only share the fruits of it with other people and never invite them to the source itself? I remember when I was going to school, I went to Auburn University, and I hate I Now I love history, but for whatever reason, I struggled with history in college. I failed history 101 twice. And I think it was just that I didn't go to class, was what I boiled down to. Uh, so I tried it by twice my freshman year, and it didn't take. So my senior year, I'm getting ready to graduate. I have to take history 101 again as a senior. So I'm a senior in college and with all these freshmen, and we're taking this class. And our teacher tells us that, you know, I put my notes and stuff in the library. This was before anything was online. Like, I put all my notes and stuff in the library. If you go down there, you know, you can read the notes. Well, as a senior, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. Instead of taking notes, I'm going to go down and get her notes and just make a copy of them and read through those. Well, I found out that she didn't only just put the notes down there. She put her old test down there. She chose to do it, so I made a copy of that as well, and I studied it. And the first test we had, I realized all she did was rearrange the questions. Like the test was the exact same test, just with, I got 100 on the test. And I was like, this is going to be easy. And my friends that were sitting around with these freshmen are like, how did you do that? You know, they make C's and D's. And at that point, it was very tempting. And for a while, I said, I'm just that smart. Like, it's just, it's just me. And uh, I was helping. And finally, I gave in. I said, no, there's an easy way to pass this class. And I introduced them to the library and how to get the answers and to connect. I don't know if she still does that or not. She's probably not even there. But it was this idea that the freshmen loved me at that point. They thought the college was going to be easy at that point. I said, don't, don't, don't get confused uh, with that. But it's this idea. I could have kept them away from the real answers and just act like it was on me. But instead, I made the choice to connect them to the true source that could change the outcome of that course. And the thing is, we do that in our own lives. We sometimes like to be the object of affection, don't we? I mean, we show grace to somebody, and somebody looks at us and goes, oh, you're amazing. And we go, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm pretty good. And we forget that we should actually connect them to the one who allows us to be generous, that gives us the grace to be generous. And so what I want us to do today is walk through these verses because Paul gives us an outline of how do we worship in our life? How do we create this attitude of worship so that when we are worshiping, when people see us, when we express generosity, when we respond, when we advocate for people and they look to us, 
they see us worshiping the God that allows to do that for them. So let's look at this. Verse 12, it says this. It says, but it is also overflowing of many thanksgiving to God. The first attitude of worship we have should be gratitude. The first attitude and position of worship that Paul talks about here is this idea that we should have overflowing thanksgiving to God. Worship begins when we operate out of a grateful heart. This seems natural and obvious. Think about it for a minute. How do we feel when, toward other people when they give us a beautiful, unexpected, and personal gift? Something that just comes in. I mean, immediately your heart just, like you knew me, you, you understand me, and you, this heart of gratitude just fills up. And we respond in a sense of thanksgiving. We respond in a sense of honor for those people who did this for us. And we don't know how to say thank you adequately, even though we try. And this is why expressions of grace lead to worship, because we want to respond to, to grace in a way that we only know how is to say thank you and to honor those who do this for us. You do something gracious for someone, and they'll respond with overwhelming thanksgiving. But the trap here is that we often set ourselves up to be the full recipients of that expression of grace or thanks. People look to us after we've been gracious and we respond and we advocate for them and they give thanks and we receive it and we keep it and it ends there. But verse 12 tells us that you and I are not the target of thanksgiving, but God is. Overwhelming thanksgiving to God. The goal of grace isn't to get people to be thankful, grateful, or impressed with our generosity. Instead, it is to allow people to understand that God in his great mercy is the source of hope in all things. And he should be the target of their thankfulness, gratitude, and should be overwhelmed with his presence, not with ours. The thing that keeps us from naturally, this naturally flowing in our lives is when we forget that we are where we've been and we are in need of grace as much as anybody else. We start thinking of ourselves as the source of grace in other people's lives instead of a recipient of grace ourselves. And as soon as we start to think this, that we're the source of grace, the supply of grace cuts off in our life. Not because it runs out from God, it's because we literally reach up and shut the valve off and say, you know what, God, I think it's about me. And as soon as we do that, God's grace stops to flow in our life because we've become the target and we've stopped worshiping God. Let me just ask you a question. When's the last time you just stopped and let your heart become overwhelmed with gratitude for God? I don't know how this operates in your life, but too often in my life, instead of being overwhelmed with gratitude for God and what he has done and his faithfulness he has shown me, I look ahead and I see the challenges that are coming my way. I see the fears that I'm facing. I see all the things that I need. And sometimes instead of being grateful, I get anxious and even angry at God. How could you let this be coming at me? How could you let this be what I'm dealing with me? And instead of looking up and remembering what God has done, I'll start looking down and around at the circumstances. Instead, I've got to start looking forward. And when I look forward, I forget. If, I, if I'm not looking forward, I forget about God's faithfulness behind me. I lose heart instead of letting my heart be overwhelmed with gratitude for an unending source of grace that I've experienced up to this point in my life. There's a practice that I do sometimes, and a practice I want to challenge you to think about. When my heart and my mind begin to be overwhelmed, maybe with anxiety or fear, and I lose my gratitude, sometimes I just have to stop and have a moment of gratefulness and to focus my eyes. And, and I do a thing, it's a practice of lifting my eyes to God, of literally, physically moving my eyes from looking around me 
to focusing on God and remembering that He is the source of all things. He is the one thing that I should focus on. And I literally move my eyes toward the heavens and I may be sitting in my apartment, I may be on a subway, I may be anywhere, but it's that moment of when that fear and anxiety come over me and go, stop, stop. Look to God. Look to His faithfulness. This morning, I want us to begin a time of worship together and actually have a chance to respond. I'm going to invite our band to come back up and we're going to sing a song that helps us remind us, but I want to challenge you in this moment right now. I want to ask you if you would take a moment and literally lift your eyes to God. Take it off of your circumstances. Take them off of me. Take them off of this moment and look toward God and ask yourself this question. What do I have to be grateful for right now? Not what problem are you facing? Not just where do I need help right now? But what are you thankful for? What has God done in your life that you could give testimony for right now and say thank you? God, you've been faithful in the past. God, you have done more. You have come through for me. And even though there are problems on my path right now, I am looking to you. We take a moment right now and just look to God and remember, be overwhelmed with thanksgiving for what he has done. stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never Father, it's who you are,
stop there. It's not just gratitude. He goes on to a next teaching in verse 13, and he says that as we experience this worship and as we serve, then they will glorify God because of your submission. Now, I don't know about you, but we've talked about this before. That word submission is not a favorite word of anybody. It's not something we long for. It's not something we just jump into, but this sets the tone for this second attitude of worship, and it's this idea of reverence for God. Reverence. Submission or reverence that we have for him. While worship begins with a grateful heart, worship deepens when we show reverence for God through submission and trust for him. What is reverence? Reverence isn't just showing somebody respect. It's acknowledging that they are worthy of that respect as well. It's not just saying, yeah, I'll respect you because I have to. It's saying I respect you because you are worthy of it. They have earned it. You aren't being nice to them by showing them respect. You're being honest and truthful. And honestly, we make the idea of submission harder than it needs to be. We think that it's a show of weakness if we submit, or we're going to give up control of our lives, or that we'll be viewed as less of a man or a woman if we submit and show reverence to someone. But the truth is, this is very weak and shallow thinking. If we have issue with submitting and showing reverence, then what that actually reveals about our nature is a very narcissistic attitude that I believe at the very core of things, I always know best. I am always the strongest, the smartest, the most important person in the room. And that life revolves around me. I am the center of it all. I mean, think about it. When you see a group picture and you're in it, where do your eyes go first? To you. And if it's not a good picture of you, it's not a good picture. Right? They're like, let's retake that one. Like, everybody else looks good. Everybody else had their eyes open, but you had that weird wonky look on your face, and it's not a good picture. Like, don't post that one, please. And that's the way we, we think about everything revolves around us. But showing reverence to God by submitting to him is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of wisdom and strength. It's you acknowledging that you're accessing the deepest wisdom, power, and strength in all of creation. It is setting aside the idea that I know it all and that I need to be in charge and instead embracing the truth that I have unfettered access to the one that created the heavens and the earth and the one who created me as well. When we show reverence to God, this scripture says it will allow others to glorify him as well. This practice of reverence and submission is a pathway for other people to see that there is hope beyond themselves and even hope beyond you. You see, you see, when you show grace to someone, when you're generous, when you respond, when you advocate for them, they will look to you in reverence. But the goal at that point isn't to remain the object of their reverence. Instead, it is to respond in reverence to God, to the true source of grace, and to direct them and their path there. Not you, but him. But we have to practice reverence, just like we have to practice these other pillars of worship. And sometimes I just have to stop myself, just like I do when I have to learn to remind myself to be grateful. Sometimes I have to stop myself. I have to set aside my pride, stop thinking so highly of myself, and allow our reverence for God to grow in my heart. And I want us to practice that this morning. 
I want us to stop for a moment and revere God and his greatness. There's a physical position I take, just like looking up reminds me of my gratitude. There's another position I take that reminds me to be reverent and submit to God in what I do. And it has to do with my hands. Oftentimes when I see pride seeping into my life or I grow arrogant or I think everything revolves around me, I just take a moment and put my hands out in front of me and remind myself, no matter what I've done with these hands, good, bad, great, ugly, whatever they are, it's not me, it's God. The goodness that I do in my life, any way that I touch somebody's lives or impact somebody's lives, this is not the work of my hands, it is the work of God. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says it this way. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors. It is today. It is this reminder. It is not the work of my hands that impact people's life. It is the work of God through me. And so I take my hands and I literally place them in front of me and I remember what God has done through me. Not what I have done. I set aside pride. I set aside arrogance. And in this moment, as I look at my hands, I also submit to him. I say, God, whatever you want to do with these hands, I'm yours. I'm yours. Will you take a moment and bring your hands out in front of you this morning? We're going to have another song that we get to worship with, but as we get ready for that, you look upon your hands and remember that these are not the source of pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope in our lives. What we do with our hands, but instead it is what God has done with these. Today, what do you revere God for? Is it his steadfastness that you've seen by the work of your hands? Is it his faithfulness, his wisdom, his power, his holiness? Is it his everlasting and ever non-ending love and forgiving nature? What is it that you need to submit to God today? Do you need to, in your hands, place your ego, your struggles, your hopes, your dreams? Just take a moment. And remember, it's not the work of our hands that make us worthy. It's the love, power, forgiveness, the grace of God allow us to share his grace with others.
get to a point that you think it's about you, just remember that it's God who gave you these hands, this heart, this grace to share with other people. There's one last attitude and position of worship that Paul points to here, and it's at the end of verse 13, and it says, and after all this, that comes, this all comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And this final position and attitude of worship is confession. And it's not confession of sin at this point. It's not admitting all that I've done wrong so that I you know, can feel better by just admitting those things. That's a part of certainly our spiritual journey, but that's not the type of confession he's talking about this morning. This is the idea of confessing the gospel of Jesus to other people. While worship begins with a grateful heart and deepens with reverence, the fullness of worship worship happens when we introduce other people to the saving power of Jesus Christ and his grace. This idea of confession here is like someone who's brought into the front of a courtroom, placed on a witness stand, and asked to speak the truth. They're brought in as an expert witness to confess the truth, the honest confession. Their testimony brings clarity to confusion that brings light to things that are hidden and brings truth to things that have been corrupted. Confession is not an admission of something that I've done wrong, just as confession of something I'm wrong. Confession is an expression of what has gone right in my life with Jesus as well. There are two audiences to our confession. Both are as important as the other. The first audience is our own hearts. Sometimes we need to confess to ourselves and remind ourselves of the majesty and mercy of God. To remind ourselves what God has done for me, that this creator of the universe desires to be in relationship with me. I need to remind myself that his love and his sacrifice created a pathway out of guilt, out of shame, out of suffering, and toward hope and healing. I need to remember these truths myself. I need to sometimes confess to my own heart the greatness of God. But there's a second audience that's just as important, and it's other people. I think we make this harder than it needs to be as well. We use terms like evangelism or sharing our faith or going out and witnessing, and those seem like big, huge terms that are just for like super Christians or weird Christians. One of the two, right? And it's like, I don't know how to do that or what to do. And we think that it, confessing is about trying to convince people to follow or coerce their actions or try to convert them to the faith. Instead, it is actually about living an authentic, peaceful, humble reflection of a person whose life is a living example of the gratitude and reverence that they are experiencing through the grace of God. Living it. This is why First Peter tells us in the book of Peter that, that you and I should always be ready to give an account for the hope that, was, that is within us. It doesn't say go out every day with your Bible and try to beat people over the head, but it also says don't take the, what God has done in your life and hide it behind you and hide the light behind a bush and don't let other people see it either. It says live that your light may be seen by other people. And as it's seen... And they come to you and they say, what is that? Be ready to give an account of the hope that is in you. This is the gospel confession. When is the last time that you made a gospel confession? Either to your own heart or to other people. Let's remind ourselves of the power of the work of Jesus in our own lives. And then confess it to other people. Just like with gratitude and reference, sometimes I need to stop. 
stop and not look at what around me and look up and see what is happening and remind myself of who God is. And like, and then with, with reverence, I need to stop and realize it's not about me and that what God has done through me is what's important. Sometimes I need to stop and speak a reminder to myself that simply says this, Jesus is Lord. Like a simple confession of that truth sometimes revolutions, revolutionizes my perspective on life. It changes my understanding. It brings hope immediately back into a situation that I feel hopeless in. I need to confess that Jesus has saved me, that my sins were counted against me and they made me an enemy of God, but through a willing sacrifice of Jesus, I was made whole. I was made new. I was born again. I now have a hope that is bigger than my circumstances and a peace that passes understanding. And I want us to take a stop for a minute and confess this greatness to God and to ourselves and to others. And there's another physical position I take when I see this happening in our life, when I've forgotten who God is, or that I'm not confessing that, and I'm relying on other things in my life. And all of a sudden, I've set up other lords of my life or gods of my life that are pulling me in a thousand different directions. Sometimes I just have to stop and do this. Raise my hand. I'm not raising my hand uh, to get God's attention and say I'm over here, but I'm literally raising my hand like a kid in class and saying, I know the answer. I know the answer. And the answer is Jesus. There is no other answer that is better than this answer. And I've tried other things. I've tried to answer, but I've realized it's, it's like when I, I finally figured out this big problem in math and you just, yeah, I got it. I got it. And I know it's right. It makes sense. And sometimes we need to take this bold step of just saying, you know what? There is an answer. And if I'm saying, if you're sitting in here this morning, you probably have experienced that answer in some way and say, I know it. I know it. Would you this morning, and just an expression, a physical expression, would you cry and say, Jesus is Lord, and raise the hand and say, I know the answer. Would you raise your hand this morning and call that out, that Jesus is Lord as a physical expression? You can do it now. It's, it's a way to say Jesus is Lord. It feels weird. It feels awkward. That's okay. It's not, it's not that we're becoming charismatic in here. But it's this idea, this reminder that I, sometimes I have to physically do something to get my mind going back in the right direction. And that's what we've got to do, is to confess that Jesus is Lord. I want us to close with one last song. It reminds us of the marvelous nature of God. And I want to pray for us. I'm going to ask us to stand and sing this last song together. Go ahead and stand with me. and Let's pray. This God is, we have these moments this morning where we are lifting our eyes to you in worship and in gratitude. And we're setting our hands before you in reverence and saying, God, it is about you, not me. And this morning we're raising our hands and confessing that we have the answer that you are Lord. God, would you take these physical, simple acts of physical worship and God, ingrain them into our spirit and remind us of the truth that you're it. It's not you plus something else. God, as we worship you, we are getting out of the way and letting those that we show grace to see the true source of grace. Let us celebrate that this morning.
his love for me. Amen. So we've had this series, we've been going through this series, we've ended every week. You know, we normally end with a question, but we've ended with a vision in this series for what New City has for us. And I want to talk about what that means around worship. And uh, our commitment is this, is we want to have days like this where we focus on remembering with reverence, remembering with gratitude, and submitting and surrendering and confessing that Jesus is Lord. So about once a quarter, we're going to have a Sunday where we come in, and it's not going to be necessarily about teaching. It's going to be about responding through worship, whether it's through music or through testimonies or through different stories that we're just going to confess that Jesus is Lord and remind ourselves of that and hold on to that truth. 